Welcome to another episode of Commentary. This episode was recorded in 2003 for the release of McSweeney's issue number 11 DVD. Our guests today are John Hodgman and Sarah Vowell. Okay, the thing about Sarah Vowell is that she's one of the funniest people on the planet, so I will watch or read absolutely anything she's involved in, including this audio commentary for a featurette called The Editing of The Making of McSweeney's Issue Number 11 DVD, where she and comedian John Hodgman discuss experimental cinema, haircuts, censorship, existentialism, and cinema verite, all while watching a single 15-minute wide shot of an editor at his computer cutting another featurette, which is called The Making of McSweeney's Issue Number 11 DVD. I don't know what else to say. This is spectacularly absurd, and as such, it is a 5 out of 5 on the listenable scale. This is perfect for on-the-go consumption. You do not have to be watching at all. If you like this episode, check out our previous episode, where director Francis Ford Coppola records a commentary for the featurette that Miss Vowell and Mr. Hodgman are watching the editor cut in this very strange and meta-special feature. Again, I'm not sure you can stream this at home, but on the off chance that you do find it somewhere online, you can sync this commentary at the beginning of the piece by clicking play when you hear this sound. Here are John Hodgman and Sarah Vowell in 2003 for the editing of the making of McSweeney's issue number 11 DVD. Good evening, uh, or afternoon, or morning, or whenever you may be watching this digital versatile disc. This is John Hodgman here with Sarah Vowell. Hi. Giving you important audio commentary on the editing of the making of McSweeney's issue number 11, DVD. Why don't you describe what's going on here? In case you are watching this DVD... That way I don't have to. <laughs> in case you are watching this DVD and are visually impaired, <clears throat> you now see an image of a man named Matt Black, the editor of the making of the McSweeney's number 11 DVD, in the process of doing said editing. And he clearly knows what he is doing. How do you know that he knows what he's doing? Well, I, he exudes a kind of shaggy confidence that makes me feel very comfortable in his decision-making. He obviously is also ambidextrous, which is always impressive to me. It's interesting you use the word shaggy because I was looking at his hair because, you know, his hair takes up a full 10% of the screen, really. And I was reminded of that Andy Warhol film, you know, uh, Haircut, where all it is is a film of a guy getting a haircut where nothing really happens except for hair being cut. And in this, nothing really happens except for film being cut. 10%, I think, is an accurate estimate. But you have to remember, we're watching this in a preliminary stage on VHS. We're not seeing it in the full widescreen glory that they're probably watching it on DVD at home. So once the pan and scan is done, maybe it'll be a smaller percentage. You're still avoiding the whole experimental cinema issue. Um, 
Yeah, I think he could use a haircut. Is that what you're trying to get at? <laughs> I agree. I mean, that's really, that was my point I was trying to make. He could, he could use a little trim. Do you think um, this thing we're watching is what um, the French used to call cinéma vérité, which is to say the cinema of truth? I think it's more cinema very boring. <laughs> you slay me. <laughs> I slay me. Uh. Now, being the seasoned broadcaster that I am, yes. and I know you've dabbled a little bit as a dilettante in the, in the broadcasting arts yourself, I don't know about you, but w when I'm editing something, and uh, given it is generally for uh, the radio, a non-visual medium, so maybe I'm out of my depth here, but when I'm editing something, I, I have like a notebook. You know, I have post-it notes. I have, I have, I have some sort of structure written out on paper. I have directions to myself and thoughts and remarks, and and and, and there, there's not a piece of paper in this frame. Yeah, he's keeping it all up in his head. Now there are a couple of reasons that this could be. One, he's some kind of robot. Or two, he's just a, a genius. Well, I, I mean, there's something, yeah, there's something very showy about this. Like, he's very stuck up, he, you know, like when you get those waitresses who ha have a table of ten and don't write anyone's order down. I find that incredibly nerve-wracking because who can remember, you know, ten cuts of meat or whatever? Well, I usually have ten or twenty rattling around in my brain at any given time, but that's not the point. The point is... You're right. When you look at this guy, you think, what a goddamn show-off. Make a note. It's, I think it's interesting to note that not only do we not know what's going on below his waist, but we don't know what's going on the top of the picture above the right-hand television screen. What is that? Some, looks like the bottom half of some kind of goat or something. I thought maybe a gorilla. Definitely an animal type of picture. That's true. We don't, we don't know what's under there. I mean, this is, this is very, he's, he's, he's being censored from the waist down. Probably that's for the best. I think he's wearing chinos. <laughs> that would be, that would be consistent anyway with what we're seeing so far with the Jim Jarmusch poster in the background and the shaggy hair and the big glasses and, I mean, that's what I would wear. I'm wearing chinos right now. You are. You know, it occurs to me while we're talking about this guy, literally behind his back. <laughs> yes, you me. Um, that he, if he's editing the DVD, it's possible that he will be editing us. This very commentary about him editing. Yes. I would say this. It's clear that he has too much power for a man who so desperately needs a haircut. Yeah, I mean, I hadn't really thought about that. If he's in charge of editing what we say about his editing, then maybe we should backtrack and, and say nicer things about him. I do think that his shirt's very nice. I find myself strangely attracted to his hands. And he also has very good taste in computer equipment and video monitoring devices. And he's got a hat 
over the doorknob there uh, off to the left of your screen. And I bet if he's ever able to force it over his giant mane of hair, it looks very jaunty. I would say, however, his um, decor, it, it looks like he's doing this in somebody's dorm room. You know, like maybe it is his dorm room. That's a good point. Oh, my God, he just left. Well, this would be the perfect time because, frankly, it was beginning to annoy me. I, I couldn't wait to. I just couldn't wait for him to leave. I mean, I, I hope he never comes back. That means that this film can go on forever. That's true. And, and our commentary about commentary will be unhindered by him. Maybe we should make, maybe we should make this a little interesting and wager on where he went or what he went to get. I'll bet you a skillet full of bacon that he went to get a sweater. That is a bet I'd like to lose, so. Oh, I mean, I'd have to give you a skillet full? I don't know how to work it, but I'm going to keep my bacon and say it doesn't matter to me. What It doesn't look cold in there, but it's fine. If he wants a sweater, that's fine with me. I want to know what's in the corner there, that sort of robot-looking thing. Doesn't it look like some kind of 1970s-era toy robot? An adding machine? Maybe that's his day job. Maybe film is only his art. Maybe he's an accountant. Yeah, he could be an accountant living in a dorm somewhere. <laughs> Maybe he's an accounting major. I think that you've hit the nail on the head, as they say metaphorically. He's an accounting major, Jim Jarmusch fan, and a lover of the cinematic arts who, in order to make ends meet, has to edit this McSweeney's DVD. This is um, a non sequitur, but uh, and has no, you know, does not pertain to what we're doing here. But did you know that public relations is an actual major at colleges and universities in this country, and that there are twenty-year-old kids who are taking classes in writing a press release, even though any sane person knows that if you want to do that for a living, and it's a fine way to make a living, all you have to do is maybe get an internship somewhere and and then just get a job doing it. Why do you have to spend actual university time, like learning? how to write a press release when you should be, you know, reading the Iliad or writing about that. You should be learning how to think. Yes, but I, I think you're not looking at it the right way because if you spend... Oh! oh. <laughs> it's, it's tea. I think... Did you see that? The tea bag was great and I think it might be um, Twining's Irish breakfast. My eyes are all teared up due to the rather bold pattern of his underwear. So it was hard I, for me to see. He was wearing underwear. I was so I was so um, enraptured with the tea bag. I missed that. Yeah, one difference between us and the people looking at this at home is that they can now just jog back on their DVD without going through the prolonged pulley and crank system of rewinding a VHS tape. So they can go back and see the underwear, whereas we must travel on into the future without it, only with only its memory. Um. But let's talk about the tea again, um, because, I mean, as you know, I'm an avid tea drinker. And I can tell you that it's possible, while it's possible that was a bag of twinings. And I don't know, is it twinings or twinnings? I, I've always said twinings, but I don't, I don't know what it is. It, it's either twinings Irish breakfast, which has a green tea bag, or it might be the Tazo uh, mint tea known as Refresh. Your thoughts? I don't know how you pronounce T-A-Z-O, but my guess is that you just mispronounced it. 
it, it could be Tezo, you think? It's interesting that tea, it's tea companies are, yeah, they're very questionable pronunciations. Yeah, I'm not faulting you. I just think they should get their act together, and maybe there should be a college major in coming up with better names for tea companies. I like Tezo, though. I think it could be Tezo. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like either tea or a new brand of self-defense device. So we've neglected the guy for a while. Well, Say is, something about the guy. This is, in effect, our commentary on commentary. Normally, normally we would have some intimate knowledge of the production at hand in order to share it with you, the home viewer. But in this case, we are as in the dark as you are, perhaps more in the dark, because presumably you have seen the rest of the DVD, which we have not. In effect, we are experiencing this just as you are, but we are given the strange position of being able to talk about it on recorded media, and you have to listen to it, mainly because... Because um, the, the only difference between us and the home viewer is that the people at McSweeney's headquarters have our phone numbers. Yes, that is unfortunately true. Um, maybe this is, we, this is a time where we should do something what we in the business like to call exposing the process. We should tell people that that we are both sitting, um, we are both sitting on my couch with our shoes off, um, and I've had tea and you've had coffee. Which, um, what brand of tea did you have? I had, um, I had awake. <laughs> is that a, is that a, one of the fine Tezo lines of tea? <laughs> it is a Tezo line. Awake, really? Yeah. Awesome. Well, you got one on me then. No. Oh, oh, he's opening a bottle of water. I can only hope for his sake that that is gin. Oh. He killed yeah. it. I would imagine, though, back in that, that's the way, that's what my father says, you know, when um, you're drinking something and you're sharing it, like, say, a bottle of Dr. Pepper, mm -hmm. and um, in an act of generosity at the end of the bottle he'll hand it to you and he say he'll say go ahead and kill it your father is a very inventive man <laughs> but back in the old days when it was it was tape and razor blades and you know splicing and all that don't you think that would make for a, a slightly more action-packed making of the dvd but i mean the very idea that the, that it is a digital enterprise in it of itself you know precludes that but now these things, digital, they're just metaphor, you know. Have you noticed how in the digital age every act of computing involves some sort of metaphor uh, uh, for the old analog equivalent, you know, like scrolling down, cut and paste? Is there a third? <laughs> a third? A third example would give me some time to think of some response, so if you can come up with a third... Point and click. Point and click. Yeah. Well, you know, we... Hooray, it's over. Oh, well, this concludes your viewing of the making, excuse me, the editing of the making of McSweeney's number 11 DVD. Thank you, really. I also thank you, really. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to Commentary. 
If you like the show, tell your friends. We think there's a lot to be learned from these recordings. Home video commentaries are insightful works that are becoming less and less accessible to viewers and should be preserved and shared. Commentary collects and presents classic and contemporary DVD commentaries in podcast form, so you can listen to them wherever and whenever you want. This podcast was created as a public service for educational purposes and is not monetized. Thank you for listening to the show. Thank you.